it's your boy Fred from What's Happening. I'm just seeing if you checked out Patreon yet. Ad free podcast, full video episodes, unedited content, exclusive merchandise discounts, early access to merchandise, vote, partake in community polls, and inspire content, access private chat, and middle on one bonus episode. What you waiting for? Tap in on Patreon. Welcome to What's Happening. This is our Women Making History series. We are here with Kim Rim, and I'm going to be careful to not call you Miss Kim because you told me not to. You told me to call you Kim. How are you, Kim? I'm doing fabulous. Thanks for having me with you all. Thank you for being here. For those of you that may not know who I am, I'm Brad. My co-host is Fred. What's happening with you, Fred? Much, bro. Just yeah, you know, day in the life. Just had practice back in the saddle, so chilling. What's good with you? Hey, man, I'm just happy to be here. I'm excited to bring this series back for the second year in a row, Um, something that we just started kind of on a whim last year. Uh, It was amazing, I think. And then, you know, we're going to do it again. Um, Looking to highlight some amazing women once again uh, for the month of March in honor of Women's History Month. And uh, I had the chance to, uh, those of you, you know, we talk about our friends over there at the unapologetically black never broken always empowered the longest podcast name in the world we talk about our friends there quite often Brittany, jamal rich and their new co-host shay shout out to everybody over there i had a chance to help out over the fall and i met kim and she's dynamic she is amazing um y'all know how we do it everything is freestyle so i know some stuff about kim fred doesn't know anything uh but we're gonna get into it so um, without further ado, Kim, why don't you just give us a general overall blanket of who you are and what you've done and 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 where you are and how we got there. Okay, so first of all, I'm coming to you live from Mitchellville, Maryland, which is Prince George's County. I am the founder and executive director of a nonprofit organization called The Training Source. And if you all want to check us out, um, our website is thetrainingsource.org. And um, I started this organization 30 years ago this year. Um, And what we do is job training for the unemployed adults to help them gain the skills and motivation they need to go to work. We do um, college and career planning for youth. We have a a three-year youth leadership program where youth apply in the ninth grade. And if we accept them, they're with us the rest of high school, um, where we make sure they make smart choices, graduate on time, and successfully transition to college or careers. We give away professional clothing for job seekers. We help people apply for and access social services like cash assistance and food assistance and things like that. Um, We work with our county's summer jobs program. We work with 16 and 17 year olds with a four week job readiness training program and 18 to 22 year olds with a um, administrative career jumpstart training program. And we work with employers to fill their vacant positions as well as to train their staff to be more effective and efficient in the workplace. So we're very busy. Um, That's what we do like inside the walls of the organization, but we're also on a lot of task forces. We're on the Children's Mental Health Task Force. We're on the um, Nonprofit Advocacy Task Force. So we really try to make an impact in the community. Wow. You see see why I want to bring her on. (laughs) For sure. So congratulations on 30 years. 30 years, all my life. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, and, you know, um, we were talking when I met you before, we talked about it over on the uh, the other show. Um, That was during their entrepreneurship uh, series uh, during that month. And, um, you know, we had talked about how you had built a business essentially as a nonprofit. And that's not something that people tend to think of. You know, you hear typically you hear people say, you know, they want to open up a store or they have a website or they've built a product that they can sell. But everything at the end of it, the the intention is to be for profit. You're you built up a nonprofit. So um I remember the story a little bit, but 
what led you down the road to begin the nonprofit? Right. So most nonprofits start because of something somebody has experienced. And um, so my dream job um, prior to my experiencing something was to work at IBM. Um, when I was in grad school, I, I had an internship at IBM. And I mean, it, it just blew my mind. And I just thought everybody at IBM was smart and everybody at IBM was rich and everybody at IBM was stress-free. And that was what I wanted. And um, and so when I finished my um, graduate school, there was a freeze on hiring at IBM. So I could not go to work there because there, was, there were no jobs. So I went to work at the telephone company and hated it. And um, <laughs> but I kept my eyes on the prize. And a year later, about a little over a year later, um, IBM's freeze was was lifted, and I went to work at IBM. That was 1984. And um, so I went to work at IBM. I started out as a systems engineer and um, had several promotions and um, rose through the ranks in a non-traditional career path. And um, I'll just say up front, that was God ordering my steps because he knew what he wanted me to do. Most people had a traditional career path, but I became, went from systems engineering to proposal management to project management, all of which I would later need in my nonprofit career. Mm. Um, but was, um, you know, fast forward, you know, when I went there was the, I think the year that the PC was developed, I think the PC came out in 1984. So there was a lot of evolution and change going on in technology at the same time. The problem was a lot of people weren't changing with technology, just like a lot of people resist change today. And over time, IBM got sick of people not changing. And so in 1992, they offered the first VTP, what's called a Voluntary Transition Program, where they asked people to leave voluntarily. They said, you know, some of you just are not getting with this new, new technology. You know, the PC is here. To, and people were not using them at all. You know, they were like that. You know, I didn't, you, weren't hire, you didn't hire me to use that thing. I'm not going to use that thing. And um, so they said, then you need to get out of our way and, you know, we're going to pay you. We will pay you for every year that you've been with the company. We'll pay you to leave. And of course, the only people who did that were the people who had great ideas or, you know, were ambitious, wanted to start a business or whatever. But the people who were kind of lazy or, you know, didn't have a lot of vision or felt entitled to their IBM careers, they didn't leave. They stayed. So fast forward one year later, 1993, um, IBM had the first and biggest layoff in history. Um, at that point, they laid off 100,000 people on a single day, March 15, 1993. Um, and it was the biggest lay corporate layoff across America. While I wasn't one of the people who got laid off that day, I saw the devastation of people who did. Um, it didn't matter where we were in the country. We all had to be around a conference table. We all had to watch a video. We all had to hear the same speech. Um, that these times are changing, that we all had an envelope in front of us. Then we all had to go stand in line outside of our manager's office in alphabetical order to find out if we were declared surplus or essential. If we were essential, we had to do the work of the people who were left. And if we were surplus, you had 30 days to find yourself a job or your job was over. So um, those were some changing times. So I was declared essential, but I started helping my people out. So I started helping people write resumes and helping people write cover letters. And some people didn't even know what a cover letter was. And um, it was a disproportionate number of African-Americans losing their jobs because many of them had gotten hired during the EEO surge. Um, and so, um, you know, they really just didn't know how to compete on the outside market. So um, I was really helping them out a lot. And the, and the most important thing I, was, I wanted them to know is that you got here, so you are employable. Um, and, um, you know, if you could start here and, and you know, and, and be successful, then you can start all over again and be successful again. Because so many of them, you know, thought that, you know, I have my, I have an IBM house, I'm driving an IBM car, I got a IBM kids. Their very credibility was based on being an IBMer. I mean, we love saying I work at IBM. And so now here's IBM saying, I don't want you anymore. So, you know, your, your, your um, esteem is in yourself is what I was trying to tell them. And the more I did it, 
the more I felt that was my purpose in life and that that's what God wanted me to do and that I was supposed to now quit my dream job and do this for a living, help people overcome barriers to success and be able to achieve what he wanted them to do. So I had an IBM house and I had an IBM car and I had <laughs> IBM kids. I had a one-year-old and a five-year-old and I had to come and talk to my husband and say, I want to leave and start a business. Um, he thought I'd lost my mind, but I hadn't. And um, so I had to convince him I hadn't. And eventually he was um, on board with me. And uh, and I left. And I left to see if I had what it took to start this business. When I first started, I thought I it was going to be a for-profit because everything I had ever done with nonprofits was volunteer work. So, you know, knowledge is power. So I thought nonprofits were always nonprofits. You didn't, you know, that meant you, these are all volunteers doing things for the good, for the greater good. So I was, gonna, you know, I was starting to do paperwork and things to make this a for-profit business because I had to make sure that my family was stable. Um, but because IBM had laid off so many people, they had a fire sale. And so, you know, they were giving, selling um, desks and computers and whiteboards and all this stuff because they had 100,000 fewer people. So um, the average person showed up with their car and might have gotten a, tr a desk or a computer. And I showed up with a U-Haul truck and a page full of labels and started labeling stuff up. I labeled up whiteboards and desks and you know, computers. And so they said, chairs. And they're like, well, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to start a business. Um, and they said, well, what kind of business is it? And I said, I'm going to train unemployed people, just like the people that just lost their jobs here at IBM, because we had used proprietary software and everything. So now we got to learn WordPerfect and Lotus 123, which are now Excel and Word. Um, you know, we have to, you know, I have to train people so we can be successful in the workplace. And so they said, well, is it a for-profit or a non-profit? So I said, it's a for-profit because my husband says, I got to get paid eventually. And they said, you can get paid at a nonprofit. But he said, but if you're going to be training people who don't have a job, they're not going to be able to pay you. So you should make it a for-profit, I mean, a nonprofit. And if you make it a nonprofit, you don't have to pay for any of this. We'll just give it to you. And I said, what? <laughs> I said, it's a nonprofit. You <laughs> ain't said nothing but a word. So that's how the nonprofit part started. And um, so my whole truck full of stuff that I drove away with was free. Wow. And until 2020, I never paid for a whiteboard. Uh, my first 15 computers were free. My bulletin boards were free. I mean, I mean, they just gave me all of this stuff. I had, you know, tables. I had all this stuff. Um, today, I teach at our community college how to start a nonprofit. And so just to answer your question a little bit further, um, the question on whether a business should be a for-profit or a non-profit should be who are your customers and what's their ability to pay. So, you know, if you want to start a for-profit organization, you have to be selling a product or a service that people are willing to buy. Otherwise, you're not going to ever have any profits. Um, if you are um, trying to have a product or a service that people cannot afford to pay for, then you have to figure out, then how will I get the money to pay? As a nonprofit, you can fundraise. So I can either ask people to give donations. I can write proposals and get grants and contracts. Um, I can do so many other things to get the money to be able to provide that service at no charge to the recipient. So all the things I told you all about that we do are offered at no charge to the recipient except corporate training. Anything that we do for employers, we charge them a fee and we use those proceeds to help fund all the other things that we do for no charge to the recipient. The other big difference between for-profit and non-profit is for-profits do have owners, non-profits don't. So when all is said and done and I retire, all I can take is my purse and my coat. I don't own any of the stuff. But I will have made a major impact on society. So I don't think I asked you this question when I talked to you before, but uh, have you written a book yet? Because you dropped so many gems just now, <laughs> so many micro gems and whoever's listening to this you have to be if you missed anything just hit rewind just wow go ahead and get in there for it <laughs> well it's just it's kind of funny because um uh, i uh 
I'm actually, I have a business and I'm getting ready to go into an office uh, where uh, this lady who owns this nonprofit organization bought this old bank, mm-hmm. which, you know, I'm sure in a nutshell, was, she didn't pay for it, but because she's a nonprofit, you know what I mean? Right. So what she's doing is in this old bank, it's, it's way bigger than you would believe. So there's probably like 50 offices, maybe a little more within this bank. Mm-hmm. And so she's letting other small businesses get these offices for free to be able to start their business and get it off the ground. Like an incubator. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it's free to these small businesses, you know what I mean? And so it was just, and it's like, I see what she's saying now of how you turn around and you're impacting so many more, yeah. you know, by having a system for people who can't, you know what I'm saying, afford to pay. Because most of these businesses is here right. couldn't go out and pay $2,500 to $5,500 a month for you know say right. an actual business yeah exactly. location right and and that's the you know actual ideology behind having commercial space and is it's not like your average rent where you're just paying you know six eight hundred dollars they're charging you by the square footage exactly you know so them numbers can get large depending on how large the space is exactly you know so my question, you know, for you would be, you knew you were helping these people and eventually they wasn't going to pay or wasn't going to be able to pay. So do you use like grant money as well to help fund, you know, these different businesses or is it like strictly through that corporation where you charge that fee and get it? Or is there like other avenues besides fundraising and that corporate charge that you can get money to help fund it. Right. So most of our program funds come from grants and contracts. So <laughs> one of my, and that's why I said my God was ordering my steps. Um, rarely did a systems engineer at IBM, by IBM become a proposal manager, but I did. And so one of my gifts is I can write a good proposal. And um, and then one of my what I call signs was when it was time when I, at the time I wanted to leave, there were two requests for proposals on the street for job training right at the time I was wanting to leave. Um, one was my county and one was the county right beside us, which is very affluent and very non-minority. My county is one of the largest minority counties in the nation. And um, so I considered that a sign. So I wrote proposals to both of them. And um, so I, so when I left, when I finally walked out of the door, because I didn't leave until the end of March, and I mean, end of May. So this whole thing started, this was from March 15th to May 31st was kind of the window of thinking and changing everything that I thought I had planned for my future. Mm. And, um, and I, there's another good piece to this is that IBM did, did ask me to work as a contractor for them. They said, we need you to finish some work and we'll pay you. We don't care when you do it. It was that that was the beginning of like remote work, you know. You <laughs> <laughs> 1993. Right. We don't care when you do it. We'll give you a computer and you know, just wasn't even a piece of a thought at that point. Exactly. <laughs> so that was a blessing. So I did have some income coming in. Um, and so um, gosh, what was I getting ready to say? What was my point? Um so when I oh the RPs were out, so I wrote these proposals thinking I know these are some good proposals. You know, they, I'm I'm gonna get one or both of these, so I'm gonna start off looking good. Well, to my surprise, I got rejected on both of them, and now mm. I've already left my my good good my good IBM job. Mm. Um, but here's another nugget that's in the book I haven't written that I should that whenever you get rejected on a job interview that you really want or a proposal that you've written that, you know, that you really wanted that, to get that contract, don't get mad, get informed, you know, so you really should always reach back out and say, I'm sorry, I didn't get it, but can you give me some, some feedback? Can you tell me where my proposal was weak or where my interview was weak? So I might do better the next time. And that's what I did. So I wrote to both um, of the the grant uh, making organizations and I asked them for feedback. My county said it was the best proposal we've ever seen. But you don't have no money. 
and um, and we you, you we're not going to put our citizens in your class for you to run out of money halfway through. So you need to go find get a loan or get something so that because we you know we're not going to even pay you till the class is over. It's called mm. cost reimbursable. So um, you're going to have to go get a loan or something so that you have all the money you need to run the whole program. And then when the program's over, we give you the money back. And then if you show us you can do that, you don't even have to reapply. Just come show us that you can pay and we'll give you a sole source contract. That's knowledge. The county beside us that doesn't look like us said you over there with them. And we ain't giving you nobody over there nothing. Now, if you were headquartered over here, then we could talk. And that knowledge is power. I said, then we can't talk because my people are over there. Mm. And that's where I want to be. And that's mm. where I want it to be. And so I've never written one more proposal over there because that's not where I wanted to be. I wanted to be over here. And, um, and so I went and came back to my husband and said, honey, can we put our house up for collateral and get a loan? Because that's what I need to do in order for us for me to really kick this off. Now, remember, first he thought I was crazy to quit my job. Now, <laughs> for collateral, so I can get this kick started. So he said yes. So we put our house up. We got a line of credit, and so many things worked in our favor. Because uh, again, I had never tried to get a business loan, so I was trying to get just a real loan. And the bank was nice enough to tell me, "You really don't want just a loan. What you really want is a line of credit." Because a line of credit means you only borrow it when you need it. And versus having this big, heavy burden of debt. And that way, like if you know, you borrow a little bit and then they reimburse you. And then you borrow a little bit and they reimburse you. But when you're reimbursed, you don't owe anything. But you know, it sounds like, oh, well, that's what I want, then a line of credit. So I was getting educated uh, every step of the way. And um, and so I went back and got the contract and the rest is history. So, um, you know, so again, not, so if I had just gotten mad or just gone back to IBM and said, you know, I was wrong, can I have my job back? Then uh, I would have missed out on, you know, the opportunity to do what we've done. You know, what really stands out to me is that there are so many people, um, all of us to a certain degree, that are afraid to take a bet on themselves to, to elevate themselves. You took a risk on yourself so that you could elevate others. Yeah. That is just, that's amazing. That's selfless. That is, I mean, and, and, and to do it, I guess I want to ask what makes you so fearless? I don't know if fearless is the right word. I think the right word is obedient. Mm. I don't think it's fearless. Y'all, this is the right missionary, Kim Ram. Y'all better get this together. <laughs> right. I think the right word is obedient because, I mean, truly, I feel like God wanted me to do this. I mean, I mean once I got the um, inspiration to do it, it was like one of those, like a deep itch that, you know, you just kept on itching and I just couldn't stop. And, um, and, and nothing was going to stop me from doing it. And I mean, one year in, here's a, like, a, I mean, like how bad will you, you know, how far will you go one year in um, to having it as a, as a way to um, raising funds, I wrote a, con a proposal to the state of Maryland to do you know, training for Maryland state government employees. Um, because my thought was, if I can teach people without a job how to be successful at work, I can teach people with a job how to be successful at work. Mm -hmm. So we got it. We got this big corporate contract. Um, I would say two months into that contract, my husband gets a big promotion to move to Detroit. <laughs> Listen, yeah. we, I was going to meet you one way or the other. <laughs> <laughs> so, that, so he was like, honey, we moving to Detroit. And I said, we doing what? So he said, we moving to Detroit. I got this big old promotion. And I was like, honey, you let me quit my job. You let me do all these other things. And now I got this, you know, I got the, I got county contract. I got a state contract. I can't take these to Detroit. I mean, what do you mean we're going to Detroit? So he talked to his mother and his mother gave him the black man speech. You know, the black man don't get that many opportunities. You got to do what you got to do. And um, so, you know, we just so we went through this period of having a, like two state households 
because he he took the position. And so he had an apartment in Detroit. I was here with the one and five year old trying to hold down the household and the business. And um, you know, he would come home on weekends or every other weekend, but we did that for 20 months and it was hard. It was really hard. I lost our dog, um, you know, just like oh. every, all kind of stuff going on. And so finally he came back, you know, he was like, you know, you know, maybe I wasn't listening to God, but God was telling me, I was trying to listen to what other people were telling me. Um, and so when he, he came back, it, to, which means he took a demotion that came back to the job he had, you know, the position he had in the DC office. And within, I would say within four months got promoted in DC. Cause when you do the right <laughs> thing, the right things happen. So, um, you know, and so, you know, so that was another sign. I mean, so, I mean, I would just say that we've been blessed all the way around, but the obedience part, um, I'll just go one step further is I thought I was only going to do this for about 15 years. I have always wanted to write a book. Um, I have always wanted to just do consulting for profit because I work really hard. And I kept saying that, you know, in about 15 years, I'm going to start uh, just a consulting practice. It's going to be called a better way because people always say there's got to be a better way. <laughs> so a better way starts with the letter A. So people can find it at the top of the A's. And I was going to be able to work like two or three days a week and I would triple my salary. You know, so I mean, I had a whole nother plan of what I was going to do. Um, but the 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 cards weren't in the weren't in aligned for me to do it. My pastor had a five sermon series called Finding and Fulfilling Your Purpose. And as he went through it, it was like, you know, first you have to have the vision and then God will make give you the provision. I was like, yep, I had the vision. Yep, he gave me the provision. You know, and he went down like all these sermons. I was like, okay, then I guess this is my purpose. So when he finished the whole thing, it was no conclusion to how do you know when you have found and fulfilled with the ED your purpose? You know, when is it okay for me to walk away? You know, when, you know, what when I get to the pearly gates, I want God to say, well done, my good and faithful service, not you quit right in the middle. And um, so how do you know when it's all good, when it's, when it's all said and done? And um, so my husband and I, you know, asked the pastor, we said, we know we need this, we need some closure on this because, you know, she wants to know when, when can she go? And so he said, you know, it's funny you should say that because most people die never knowing what their purpose is, you know, so you're blessed that you know what your purpose is. He said, but the answer to your question is you'll know when it's time for you to leave. And like, basically when you can, when you're released, when all the pieces are in place for it to operate without you. Mm. And that ain't happened yet. <laughs> <laughs> yet. <laughs> and that's where obedience comes in. 30 years, I'm still there because all the pieces are not in place for it to run without me. Just yet. Just yet. And a lot of people think I don't, because I'm so passionate about it that I don't ever want to leave. You know, people will say, Kim ain't never leaving. Kim ain't never leaving. Kim wants to go at some point. Kim is tired of break, writing proposals at four in the morning. So, um, but I'm, you know, I'm I'm that committed that I'm, and I'm that obedient. So my question is, are you showing the people how to do what you do that's help helping you help the ones that need you guys' help? If that makes sense. So am I trying to build up a pipeline of people so I can leave one day? Basically, because what I see a lot of times is in in business, you know, when people start off and even get going, they always say, well, I can't never leave and, and this get done without me. But when you really look at it, somewhere in the process, they're scared to show that part, to teach that part so that somebody else can do it because they like oh if i show them this they just gonna run off and try to do it themselves and and now my business gone when at some point we got to be able to trust that whoever it is that we got to show exactly are you are you doing that right no i agree with you 100 percent and I've taken a lot of classes and capacity building and leadership programs um, because I want to be able to pass it on. 
you know, I say to my staff, you know, I want to have standard operating procedures where like every process is documented so that, you know, it's like clockwork. So if, you know, if, if I or anybody else doing something major were to leave, then the blueprint is there. So, that, you know, we don't say, oh, I don't know, Kim used to do that. Well, how did Kim do that? Or Peanut used to do this. Well, how did Peanut do that? You know, let's, let's you know, have it all documented. Um, because the best legacy is the one that keeps on going, not the one that falls apart. So, you know, I would not feel proud, you know, to, to be able to say it fell apart um, because I wasn't there. Um, I would just say that the, the workers are a little bit different these days. There are a lot of people who are like, I'm not working as hard as she does. Or, you know, I mean, it's 5.15 and I was supposed to be gone 15 minutes ago. So, you know, she got more, to, she got 15 minutes extra. Or, um, you know, or people who um, know what our outcomes and results are. Like, you know, each for each one of the proposals that we write and we get a contract, there's some very strict outcomes and results that we have to have. So for our job training program, we get measured on how many people we train, which means we got to recruit the people. We get measured on how many people finish the training. So we got to recruit the right people. We get measured on how many people get a job after training within three months. So we got to know where the employment opportunities are and push those people to go to work. Then we get measured on how many people stay employed for six months. So you can't lollygag on none of that. Those are strict yeah. guidelines on our youth programs. How many people did you enroll? How many people graduated from high school on time? How many people matriculated to college or career? How many people finished college? So, I mean, there's something. So I always tell our people, you got to begin with the end in mind. So it's not about a paycheck. It's not a like about them liking you. It's about outcomes and results. And so sometimes I feel like I'm the wicked witch of the West when I'm saying, where are the outcomes and results? We can't keep postponing classes. We can't say, um, you know, yeah, the people finished, but they're not keeping in touch. So we don't know they, if they got a job. You better find out where they are because we can't keep get another contract. If we you know our contract won't be renewed if we don't know if they went to work. And um, so, you know, those are some of the things that make it difficult because, you know, then when people aren't hitting their targets, what are they going to do? They're going to leave. Mm -hmm. Okay, so so basically there is other people now that can write proposals in your business. Yeah, we have a, a right what what I, I had people sometimes that would be on staff that would do it, and now we have a, a company um that is our outsourced grant writing um partner. And so that's even better because when I had employees, if an employee left, it was all back on me. Now that we have a company that we work with, they have they have them all stored, and you know, it it'll continue no matter what. Awesome. So, and that's one thing I talk about too in my training is you know what should be full time employees, what should be outsourced, what could be volunteers or seasonal or interns or something like that. So. Outsourcing, like we outsource our finance and accounting um, because for a fraction of a cost, for the size that we are, we get a CPA firm that has to stay up on all the accounting laws and regulations. But if we had a full-time CPA, we don't have enough work for them. And, um, you know, they're bored. Right. And it's costly. And it's costly. Yeah. We yeah. can't afford them. <laughs> and, and it's also crazy uh, since we're doing the women making history series i ain't good with names but um we had a lady on that wrote a book um bianca glasgow yeah, i wanted to say bianca because i got a cousin bianca but i didn't want to say the wrong <laughs> name so. but um she actually because bradley had asked her a question and said well how do you know when you're at the end of the book and I just wanted to connect something you said that she said last year when we did this and she said um generally I write my books with the ending first and you said you always got to keep the end in mind yeah. you know when working so go ahead and write that book uh, it sound like it sound like you can already achieve that very easily so but yeah um I mean, well, the, the outsource company should be doing it. She should All be right. over it. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so, but, you know, uh, I mean, but 
that's just something I wanted to tie together that was used, you know what I'm saying, last year to this year's, you know, women making history and, and how some of those keys fall in line, you know. Uh, yeah. And for those of us out there that's listening that run a business, how do you know when the end is there, you know, but you always got to keep the end in mind. Always. Got to get the pieces and got to be willing to share and train the pieces. Don't always think somebody going to run out on you. You know, that's yeah, I've got another, another entrepreneur named Reginald Daniel, and he wrote a book. And I want to say the name of it is Living Your Life Backwards or something like that. Um, and it's based almost on the same premise. And I do a an exercise that's based on the same premise with some people. Sometimes that's like pretend you're at the end of your life and you've achieved everything. This is the activity. Um, but pretend you're at the end of your life and you've achieved everything you wanted to achieve. You know, um, so uh, romantically, what does that look like? Family-wise, what does that look like? Financially, what does that look like? Education, everything you wanted. Um, and you're at the end. So you don't mind dying because, I mean, your bucket list is empty. You know, so you've, you've done it all. What does it look like? And then solve it backwards. So if you want that to be true, what do you need to start doing now? So, you know, if you want to say I had, you know, the best relationship with my kids, you know, what do you need to start doing today? If you want to say, you know, I, my finances were fantastic. I was debt free. What do you need to start doing now? If you want to say I owned multiple properties, what do you need to start doing now? Because there's so many people that will say I want to have I want to be rich, you know, and right, they don't have two cents today. So, you know, in order to say be able to say one day I'm rich, you got to start saving today. Right. So beginning with the end of mine is 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 real. So I also want to ask you because you said earlier, see if we can get another gem about you. Um when you got all that stuff free from IBM back in '93, they said that you can make money being a nonprofit. Yep. Can you? But at the same time, you said when you finally done, you can only walk away with your purse. Correct. So can you connect the the missing piece there for those that's listening and for us here live? Because you know. That's the, I mean, that's always going to be the thing. I, I don't care what we do. We still want to make money. You know what I mean? Absolutely. We got bills to, to pay. We got kids to feed. So how that's is right. it done? Okay. So first and foremost, um, to operate, uh, everything that you do with a nonprofit, you should assume it's a business. I teach, but The class that I teach is called Nonprofit Business Basics. Um, because a lot of people don't think a nonprofit is a base a business, but you you do your financial statements just the same. You have an income statement, you have a balance sheet, you have all the same financial statements that a for-profit organization does. Um, and at the end, the, at the beginning of every year, you have a budget. So you 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 have your budget. Your budget includes all your salaries. Um, it includes all of your operating expenses. So your rent, um, your um, utilities, your um, your Epson copiers and printers, <laughs> while you're printing, um, you know, everything that you need. So, you know, so when you're, what is it going to cost to operate your programs? And you should be very realistic. What is it going to cost? Uh, and then it includes uh, on the revenue side, where do you think your money is going to come from? How much are you going to get from individuals? Because as a nonprofit, you should be going out you know, asking individuals for money. Um, how much do you think you're going to get from events and, um, you know, fundraisers like Double Good Popcorn is all over the place again. Um, but, you know, what do you think you're going to get from workplace giving campaigns like United Way or the Combined Federal Campaign? What are you going to get from corporations? What are you going to get from government? What are you going to get from all these different line items? And I hope you heard me say all these different ones, because if you put all your eggs in one basket and that basket breaks you in trouble. So you shouldn't you should have a diversified funding stream. Um, and so you come up with that budget. Now, if you think you can raise a million dollars, then you can have your salary wherever you want it to be within that. However, those salaries still have to be reasonable. And they're all kind of sal um, salary surveys out that'll say, what's the average salary of an executive director in Detroit or in Maryland or in DC? And so you have to have um, reasonable salaries because whoever's going to give you grants or contracts is not going to you know, pay you more than what is reasonable. They'll say this is this is unreasonable, and then that, that's how you do your salaries. You can still have bonuses, and you can still have profits. 
Um, but a profit in a nonprofit organization is called a fund balance or reserve. And a for-profit organization, when you have profits, you can take them all because you're the owner and they're your profits. And if you decide to go to Hawaii with them, then have a good time. And a nonprofit, profits are called reserves and you can't do anything with them, but save them for the future. So they, you know, they go into the bank for the rainy day, whenever the rainy day comes. But you can have uh, like policies, like, like you know, we, we have a policy that says if we have reserves over a certain amount, then we can have bonuses or we can do um, you know, something else. And so we, you know, we you we can have you can have salary and bonus. So it is possible to have a very decent living at a nonprofit. Um, just know that when you walk away, you can't even go back to all those reserves and say, well, I got all those reserves over there. And it happened because of me. So when I walk, can I have a half of that? You can't do that. Well, I mean, you shouldn't need to. Be, you shouldn't need to anyway. If you made a salary, you, you should right. treat it like you did with any other job. You know what exactly. I'm saying? As a person in there that made a salary and get to pick your salary, quote unquote, longs within reason. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that—that's on you if you walk away broke. I—I I mean, in every right. way possible. So, so we pay very competitive salaries. We have um, a paid um, life insurance, health insurance, vision, dental, um, retirement. You know, we have a full benefits package. We have a professional development fund. Um, you know, so it's 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 a competitive compensation package. Bradley about to ask if y'all hire remote. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I mean, I'm not saying I ain't interested myself, but <laughs> no, I was just thinking like there's ways to like effectively use the money for your staff. Like you can have like really aggressive insurance policies and things of, of that nature that may not necessarily you may not get at your average uh a place of uh, traditional for-profit employment because those places are for-profit. <laughs> exactly. So my my other question, though, the flip side of that coin, you can set all that up and create your budget and know what it is. What if you don't raise that amount? Right. So that's why when you do have a good year, you don't take the money. That's why it goes in that reserve for your rainy day fund. Um, because you can have those years. Um, yeah, when, when COVID hit, we were scared. <laughs> <laughs> because literally, COVID, I, we, we, this, here's something back, back to not knowing what I was doing. So when I set up our 501c3, they said, what fiscal year do you want to have? Here's a gym. Here's a gym for the book. They said, what fiscal year do you want to have? And so you can set up your fiscal year to be anywhere you want. You could pick it to be your birthday to one day before your birthday the following year. So it could be the middle of like April 15th to April 14th can be your fiscal year. And so when I was filling out the paperwork, I was like, why in the world would, why in the world would anybody pick anything other than the calendar year? I got mm. hard enough time remembering anything. So my fiscal year is the year. It's January 1st to December 31st. That was that work for it now is like March, you know what I'm saying? Exactly. I, I was wondering why, but you about to tell me. <laughs> like, that, that, that was dumb. And then it has caused us a lot of problems ever since for 30 years. And, uh, <laughs> and so we've been trying to figure out like for 30 years, should we change it? Should we change it? Because your fiscal year should be based on where you think your money's coming from. So if you think your money is coming from the federal government, then it should be October 1st to September 31st, because that's the federal fiscal year. If you think your money is coming from your state or local government, typically state and local governments are July 1st to June 30th. If you think it's coming from, I don't know where your company is, but if, if it's March 1st or whatever, then wherever their money is coming from is based on that same kind of um, year. Mm. schedule. And so you want your money to be on the same schedule of where you think your money is coming from. Mine is six months off at any given point in time. So when people are hounding me, I'm trying to close my books. And when I'm hounding them, they trying to close their books. 
And when I'm trying to do my audit and, you know, they're, you know, working on their budget for the next year. So, so mine is really just dumb, according, you know, you know, according to what it should have been. So mine really should, because most of my government money comes from our state and county. So mine should be July 1st to June 30th. And um, so now I know, and I'm able to teach people that. So thinking you know, if your money's coming from regular people, like you and me, when should it be? Probably March. That's when taxes and whatnot, February. No, nope. yeah, I was Thank thinking, you. so my employer, my our, our fiscal year runs uh, from early April. It's not necessarily a calendar date. They just operate on like the Sunday through Saturday type deal, but mm -hmm. it runs from early April through late March. Okay. So there's got to be a reason for that too. So when you so well, I think for what we do, I mm -hmm. think we get a good port, a good based on what you're saying, we definitely do get a, an uptick in the funds between like the Christmas season and then again in the tax season for the yeah. various products that we offer. Yeah. Okay. Now, now, so where I was trying to go because yours is is not bad for saying when people get their taxes back, but when people get their taxes back, they're not thinking about philanthropy. They're thinking about vacation or something. <laughs> so when it comes to philanthropy, that's the end of the year. Remember mm -hmm. people make those end of year donations or whatever? Taxes. Right. So right off. Right. So if I so if I were looking for people to be my biggest donor, uh or my, my biggest funding source, then I would have a, my calendar year would have been good. Yeah, I do know a lot of companies, they have their fiscal years start in October. And I know a, a lot of companies have their fiscal years start in February. So it's off from the Christmas yeah. fiasco, essentially. Yeah. yeah, and probably a lot of retailers probably will be like January, like right after the Christmas rush when you, you're flush with the cash. Now we can close the books mm. um, or something like that. But that was so, so that's, these are smart things. And if I was a, a, an accountant, I probably would have known that, but I wasn't. Well, there's mm -hmm. another gem for the book. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you, you've told a story of how you went from making it in corporate America. You, you had the house, you had the two kids, you had the dog, you, you had <laughs> the, the great job that, that you probably could have just worked for 30 years, essentially, and, 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 and gone into, you know, some sort of pension state and all that kind of things. But you took a, you took a risk on yourself to help others. And then you yeah. took another risk to help others. You know, I, I guess I, what I want to ask is somebody that is ready to to do something to to make a change. You know, what what do you say to that to that dreamer? I say to that dreamer, how bad do you want it? Like, how does you know? Is is this something that like you think about all the time? You know, it just consumes you now. Um, then, then that's what you should do. You know, if, if do you visualize success? Do you visualize the impact that you can make? And um, do you believe that if you don't do it, it won't get done? Because that I may mean, literally, um, you know, when you step out on faith, then you have to believe that not just that there's a need and somebody has to do it. You, you got to believe that you have to be the one that does it. And, um, you know, when you do that, you're going to do whatever's necessary. I mean, by, what was it? Malcolm X that said, by any means necessary. It was like, by, you know, what I, this failure was not an option for me. And it, it never, it, to this day, it never crossed my mind that we were going to go out of business or anything like that. And we've had some rough times. Just like I was talking about when COVID hit um, in March, you know, that was, you know, our budget was a mess because, you know, we had all these promises of summer programs. We were in the middle of training 379 kids for summer jobs and it got cut off immediately. It was supposed to be 400. We had gotten up to 379. And, um, you know, we had 85 kids that were coming in June. I mean, we just had all of this stuff, you know, all of this stuff that was budgeted for. Some of it was annual. So we knew this was coming. Some of it was stuff that we were going to be writing proposals for. And now it's just done. This year is over and it's just March. You know, how am I going to pay the salaries? We own four condos as where our head headquarters is. How are we going to pay the mortgage? How are we going to do all of this when now the um, all our money is funny for the rest of the year? 
Mm-hmm. And um, but never did it cross my mind that we might go out of business. It just meant we might have a really bad year. Good news was we did have reserves. Mm-hmm. So I knew I had some money. Um, and um, and then the best good news was they came out with that like um, um, COVID relief fund. Uh-huh. So we ended up making money. We ended up with a, a positive fund balance even that year. And so, you know, God is good. So <laughs> all the time. <laughs> so, so that's part of the the what do you, what I tell those people too is a you got to believe you know although you see believe everywhere you got to believe you got to believe it 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 is needed and you have to believe you're the person that can do it. Um, then you have to believe that whatever obstacles get in your way those are just tests and so you just got to learn you know how do I pass that test. And do whatever's necessary because those tests are strengthening you for what's ahead. That's going to be even bigger tests. And if you don't pass that one, it's going to be over. So that's what I would say. Wow. So I'm going to include the the, the trainingsource.org in the show notes. Um, that's where people can get information if they are in the Prince George's County area. Uh, that they can get some some uh, some level of support. I'm assuming people. I'm assuming there's a way for people to donate potentially. Sure, there, there are many uh, ways on our website. Get <laughs> uh, to donate. Uh, you can mail it in. You can be. Well, we have a um, donate button on our website, on our Facebook pages, all our social media. So yes. So workplace right. giving. Yes. So for 30 years, the training source has been helping people in Prince George's County to, to get training, to get jobs, you know, helping kids get summer jobs, keeping kids out of trouble throughout the summer and getting them some experience to give them a head start. And hey, for all... them college tours during spring break from Virginia to Florida. Mm-hmm. So if y'all can help them out, help out the training source and is there any other websites or social medias that you want to plug in? So uh, if you go to our website, all of our social media platforms are there. Okay. Uh, with the training source on Facebook and one training source on Twitter. And I think the training source on LinkedIn. I mean, they're all there. I can't remember them all. So okay. uh, I'll be sure to go to the website and, and include some hyperlinks in the show notes. So please check out the training source, follow the training source on social media. Uh, If you've enjoyed this episode, if you're a first time listener, thank you again. Please leave us a five star rating and a review and share the show with a friend uh, and help us continue to grow. Um, We're going to be doing this uh, Women Making History series every Friday. We'll have our traditional uh, What's Happening platform every Monday. And uh, we hope that you guys will stick with us for the rest of this month and uh, for forever after that. Uh, our social medias are in the so- show notes. You can follow me. You can follow Fred. You can follow the show. And we hope you appreciate. We hope you enjoyed the show. Hope to see you guys again real soon. Kim, thank you so so much. Thank you for having me. And um, listeners, thanks for listening. And keep listening to them. They're good guys. <laughs> we appreciate it. And we'll have you. We'll have you back when you write the book. <laughs> All right, thank you very much. We got to be the first stop on your media tour. All right, it's a deal. <laughs> You guys have a great one. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <He> said bye. <laughs>